Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Eric Felton. I'm joined today by Weekly Standard National Correspondent Peter Boyer. Peter, joining us by Skype. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you, Eric. Thanks so much for making the time to talk with us today. We took note of your article in the new edition of the Weekly Standard, in which you take on the question of Donald Trump, is he the deregulator-in-chief? Um, you had a quote from the president where he said, we have stopped or eliminated more regulations in the last eight months than any president has done during an entire term. It's not even close. I'm holding my fingers a certain way while I say this. Yeah, um, sorry. And you ask the question, is this a characteristic bit of Trumpian magniloquence? I love that magniloquence. He's not only a boffo deregulator, he's the best ever, or is he actually the best ever deregulator? You know, I got to tell you, it is a remarkable statement. And uh, so I got curious and um, looked into it. I got to be honest with you, the, 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 one, the first person I talked to at the White House, you know, who was in the business of sort of standing up the president's statements, uh, was a little bit sort of taken aback. Huh, he said that? Really? <laughs> and he couldn't really, you know, provide any uh, statistics or anything to stand it up. But I, I went a little bit, you know, I took a step uh, down the road and uh, found actually what probably was the source of that assertion that Trump has deregulated more than any other president. And, you know, that includes like some Republicans, for example, uh, like Ronald Reagan, for example, and others uh, who, you know, have, have kind of stood on that foundational rock of conservatism, which is, you know, kind of slowing down the growth of the administrative state. And it turns out, uh, yeah, in terms of uh, uh, just restrictive regulations, regulations that include terms like shall and, and you know, will, and it's forbidden to must. do kinds of things. Yeah, must. Yeah, must. Um, indeed, um, Donald Trump, uh, so far anyway, in the first nine months of his administration, does uh, can actually make that claim that he is the de deregulator in chief. So, what has he done to to put a dent in regulatory growth? Well, probably the most important thing he did, uh, and it was kind of really clever, um, was uh, he issued an executive order that for across the agencies, across the executive branch that uh, for every new regulation, any agency that wishes to promulgate a new regulation uh, has to eliminate two. And, when, you know, you sort of you say, okay, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah, that's kind of a really deregulatory thing. But what it really does when you think about it, imagine a bureaucrat's life. And, um, you know, I mean, the ones, a bureaucrat who goes to work at the EPA, for example, the Environmental Protection Agency, goes to work there, presumably, because he really uh, wants to go to work for the environment. And his True way believers. Is, right. His way of doing that or her way of doing that is to write rules. And, you know, you've been there 10, 15, 20 years. You've had your hand on half a dozen or more rules and those become your rules you know that's my baby and uh, you're now asking that bureaucrat listen man i know you want to go to work and write more rules but before you get to do that cool thing that you really like 
You've got to go back and find some other rules, which you may have, in fact, had, your, uh, you know, put your stamp of authorship upon and identify those as being, you know, no longer useful or too costly or just, you know, sort of uh, knuckleheaded in the first place. And that has had the effect. It may uh, astonish you to hear, Eric, but, um, you know, there's a a long period of contemplation implied in that order. In other words, they have not rushed to undo uh, their past handiwork. And it's had the effect of basically just sort of bringing the writing of regulations to a standstill. Well, there's something Solomonic in saying that you have to turn in two of your babies to get a new baby. That's right. Trump, Trumpomonic, yeah. <laughs> so one of the other things you note in your piece that... Um, that Trump has been successful with to some extent has been putting people in charge of departments and agencies who are themselves deregulators, most notably perhaps Scott Pruitt at EPA. Yes. You can sort of measure the validity of uh, a, a Trump appointee's um, uh, status as a reformer by the uh, pitch of the shrieks and protests that come from certain interest groups. Scott Pruitt has got to be probably the most hated and despised and loathed uh, um, uh, Trump appointee by a certain group, the you know activist uh, environmentalists, because he was a guy who really did believe uh, before he came to Washington that the EPA was overbearing and overreaching and basically was trying to regulate every aspect of our lives. And, uh, you know, he, he has proceeded to, uh, in steps uh, grand and small, uh, begin to try to turn back that tide. In the old Tom Wolf formulation, he makes the weenies scream. <laughs> Yes, that's you and Tom Wolf. I would never say that about a uh, federal bureaucrat. You say there needs to be a distinction between the president, who you say has no discernible ideology, and his presidency, which, you write, so far has been strikingly conservative. Should conservatives take some solace? Yes, I really think, I mean, that's the thing that I probably, I mean, I really took that lesson from from this exercise was it really is useful to distinguish uh, the person of this president uh, from his presidency. I mean, the person of this president is, as you know, Eric, uh, every 10 minutes, some new tweet, some new comment, some new <clears throat> controversy, some new, you know, head spinning thing. But the actual piece of governance, I mean, you can you can almost pick a category. Um, I mean, we'll see about the tax plan, uh, which, you know, seems to sort of be all all over the place so far. But but from, you know, in the judiciary and, you know, on this matter of, of regulation, this is has been a strikingly uh, conservative presidency. Peter Boyer, national correspondent for the Weekly Standard, thanks so much for joining us on the Daily Standard podcast. Support for the Daily Standard podcast comes from the yummy and nutritious RX Bar. RX Bar is a whole food protein bar. What does that mean? Their bars are made with 100% whole ingredients. 
In 2013, RX Bar called out protein bars. There wasn't a protein bar out there that wasn't full of artificial ingredients, fillers, preservatives. That's why RX Bar set out to create a new kind of protein bar with a few simple, honest ingredients and where every ingredient serves a purpose. RX Bar labels the core ingredients, such as egg whites, dates, and nuts, on the front of the package and the ingredients that make up texture and taste on the back. Beyond being a go-to snack that checks off a number of nutritional boxes, RX Bars actually taste delicious. Surprise! Creating a protein bar made from real whole food ingredients actually tastes better than anything out there. You don't need the fillers, the additives, the chemicals, or the added sugar. RX Bar's core ingredients do all the talking. It's simply like eating three egg whites, two dates, and six almonds. Whether you like sweet or savory, chocolate or fruit flavors, there's an RX Bar for you. RX Bars come in 11 delicious flavors or varieties. I particularly like the blueberry version. There's a special offer for Daily Standard podcast listeners. For 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com standard and enter the promo code STANDARD. Again, that's rxbar.com standard and enter the promo code STANDARD for 25% off. That's it for today's Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Eric Felton. Catch you next time.